Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We are deep into USC training camp. We're going to talk all about it with Keely Yor and preview the defensive side of the ball for the Trojans going into the 2020 football season. If you have any questions or comments, please email us podcast at uscfootball.com or call or text us at 424-254-9141. But if you want to get your question bubbled up to the top, Go to your Apple podcasting app. A five-star rating is always appreciated. Any kind of positive review with comments, feedback, suggestions. And we will bump you to the top of the list if you put any questions for the show up on the Apple podcasting app. So it really does help grow the show. And you know what else helps to grow the show? Having a great co-host like Keely, you're on. Keely, how are you today? Hello, Ryan. I'm doing well. I'm kind of getting into the swing of early morning Zooms. It's it's a weird training camp schedule, but I think I'm getting the hang of it in week two. It's a little weird, and I'm, I was thinking about this today. So if you guys don't know, um, they're practicing in the afternoon, except Saturdays they're doing their scrimmages. Uh, but they're doing Zoom calls in the morning, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We get coaches, players, things like that. Um, so it's not after practice, so it's a little bit different. This might be the schedule going throughout the season. I don't know. I was, I'm a little bummed because I usually was working out this time. I had a regiment going, I had a zoom workout. Now I'm doing zoom interviews. So it's sort of like disrupting my, uh, my workout vibe, Keely. I know that's the thing I'm trying to figure out. Does this stick? Is this just a training camp thing? And do we also have four pressers a week? Or is this just extra access because that's what they usually do in training camp? It'll be interesting to see for sure. I, I'm curious how it looks like going forward. I'm curious too. We'll find out. Uh, but as as of now, we're just kind of rolling along and uh, you know, covering whatever we can cover. You're ch- hopefully, you're checking out the site. We're putting up instant analysis. Um, we've been doing that quite a bit. I, I did the last couple with Keeley. Shotgun has done them with Keeley. Uh, ghost notes are going up on the website. And then lots of stories and different interviews. We've got some one-on-one interviews that went up. Keeley did a great piece on uh, Brew McCoy. So if you're not subscribed to uscfootball.com, you be- definitely uh, should go check it out because there's a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, you guys are keeping pretty busy, Keeley. Yeah, we have a lot of different content. We also had a Family Feud podcast. I really missed sitting down with players and talking to them. It was really nice to catch up with Brew McCoy and kind of get a window into what he's dealt with the last a year or so. You know, a lot of guys have talked about how it's a really tough offseason. They're so excited to get back on the field. But for Brew McCoy, it's an extra long offseason just because he got sick in 2019. So just hearing what he learned during that whole time period was really interesting for me. So uh, lots of content. I know Chris is putting down breakdown putting up breakdowns and uh, a ton of a ton of content so be sure to check out the site uh, to make sure you're up to date yeah get get up to date on all that i've been doing a uh, quick preview of all the usc opponents so i think i'm three down now i did washington state the crossover game and then the opener against arizona state and arizona still still got three to go for that i want to give a shout a couple shout outs one, Anthony in L.A., he left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I want to thank him. He said the uscfootball.com team is five-star. 
And USC football fans know if you don't, if you don't, you need to find out. So thanks, Anthony, uh, for that. We appreciate you. And uh, also, we appreciate Trader Joe's. They've been sponsoring us for quite a while. And I know I usually highlight something that's sweet. So I had to go savory this week. Something wow. I, haven't tried. I haven't tried this yet. And I love, I don't know. I'm not sure, Keely, if you've done this, but have you ever had the Vietnamese soup pho? It's I, I can't, but I know what it is. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. The noodles and the, and the meats and stuff in there. So I, I like going to little pho shops uh, you know, around town. Now they got beef pho soup at Trader Joe's. So I definitely want to check it out, put a little sriracha in there. Uh, I started a little, uh, a, a, like, a herb garden on my balcony. And, and basil is one of the things I have growing out there, Keely. And they say you could put some basil right on top, maybe some jalapenos. So I think I'm going to try this up, doctor it up a little bit with some, some hot sauce and uh, see what it's like. But So it's a savory dish I want everyone to try. I'm going to go. I'm doing my shopping a little bit later today. So I'll go check it out at Trader Joe's. Very nice. Whoever, wherever you're listening to this podcast, look outside the window, check to see if pigs are flying. Ryan said something that was not sweet. <laughs> it's, it's a miracle, Ryan. It's really hard for me not to, but I, you know, I do that. So uh, yeah, check out the beef uh, over at Trader Joe's. I'm going to do that this week. Uh, so we got a couple of things. We got to do a preview of the 2020 defense, but before we get to that, we had a Zoom call this morning on Tuesday morning, and we did check out the instant analysis. Keely and I both did uh, from that, but we heard from Mike Jenks, the running back coach, and also Stephen Carr. Uh, we were supposed to hear from Vavai Malpei, but for some reason he didn't get connected. Or he tried late, and it didn't it didn't go through. Some first world Zoom problems or whatever. <laughs> but uh, the connection, Keely, between Jenks and Carr, it seemed pretty strong. You know, there was a, a bond between him and Vi. It seemed like they you know really got along and. Now cars into it, uh, physical talk, talking about, you know, not dancing behind the line and just hitting the holes. And, um, uh, just, it seemed like these guys were pretty fired up and I don't know, I, I, I came away from this interview feeling a little bit more positive about what this USC running game is going to be like in 2020. Yeah, it was interesting. I think we both noted, Ryan, that you could just feel the chemistry between Jinx and Carr. I I had it in full uh, speaker mode where you could see everyone in the call, not just who was just Jinx who was talking. And while Jinx was talking, you could see Stephen Carr like leaned in, nodding. He was very much like engaged with what he was saying. They would crack jokes with each other between questions. It just seemed like they had bonded much more over this off season uh, than what we saw in 2019. And the way Jinx talked about what they did over this offseason kind of uh, makes sense because he said really the, the main thing they focused on was talking men to men and talking about the mental aspect of the game and just mentally how to get through such a weird quarantine period, a weird off season. And so I thought that was interesting in itself. And then, you know, like you said, Ryan, talking to, to Stephen Carr, he, everyone from Clay Helton to Jinx thinks that his, this is his best training camp. He's elevated his game. Uh, Carr alluded to the fact that he's trying to stop dancing at the line of scrimmage and, and putting a foot in the ground and going forward through that hole. He said he not only watched old tape of himself, he watched old tape of Ronald Jones. And he said he looks up to Ronald Jones and wants to emulate what he, he does on the field. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. And then just getting updates from Jinx as far as injury goes, uh, he said uh, Marquis Step is expected to play in the season opener. I'm a little, a little hesitant just because, one, the fact that we have to talk about Marquis Step's health at this point with how many months have passed 
that just raises an eyebrow to begin with, but also just USC's injury history doesn't make me, I'm, I'll, I'm the type that I will, when I see it, I'll believe it, you know? And then like you mentioned in an instant, Ryan, the, uh, the way that Jinx talked about Vivai Malapai was a little odd. It was kind of like, oh, he has yeah. hamstring and then moved, <laughs> moved, uh, kept going on. And then we didn't hear from Vi, which was like a weird connection thing. And maybe it would have been solved if we were able to talk to him, but it just felt weird the way they talked about Vivai Malapai. Um, so yeah, it was it was a lot to to take in, but it seemed like a, a good step for USC's running game, especially from Stephen Carr. That's someone who, you know, after that back injury, we never really saw the Stephen Carr we once knew. And Jinx alluded to that. He said he's looking like that guy who was highly, highly touted coming into USC. So I mean, we can't see practice, but from all accounts, it seems like Stephen Carr is, is trying to be that guy uh, this season. You know, it's funny, like. We hear the coach speak. We can't watch, like you were saying. And for the some part, like, oh, yeah, he's, the, he's better than ever. And I think you were just sort of like, all right, well, if I see, if I watch him out in the field and he looks like he's making these great cuts and stuff, that's one thing. But one thing that Jinx said that stood out to me was that Stephen Carr increased his vertical leap by five or six inches. And to me, you're talking about, you know, that's an explosive movement and, you know, such an athletic feat to be able to do something like that. I don't think you're doing that if you're going to be a, you know, a step slow of what you were before. So to me, that might be, if that's true, that he's, you know, jumping five or six inches higher. I think that's a really good sign that, that he is back and it's a, maybe it just took a lot longer than, than anyone expected, but um, you're jumping five or six inches higher. I think you got that explosiveness back and that could be a, a great thing for this run game. Yeah, I buried the lead there, Ryan. Thanks for re- reminding me of that fact, because that was something where, you know, we hear a lot of coach speak and just even going to practice in, in prior seasons and seeing the same thing as the coaches, and then you hear a Clay Helton say something, and you're like, wait, what? Did we watch the same practice? So it was nice to get something tangible from uh, Mike Jinx about what actually is different about Stephen Carr. And a five to six inch difference in a vertical is, that's okay, you have my attention now, you know? So I, I'm itching to see what this team looks like and what this running back group looks like because sounds like good things so far. But like I said on Instant, Ryan, I, I continue to be a little, I don't know, the way that Jinx talked about the injuries, he didn't seem concerned. But in reality, he's still working with only Stephen Carr and uh, Keenan Kristen, it looks like, just from the film footage we can see. And that's exactly where they ended up. Uh, at the end of 2019. So in my mind, it sounds like it's a continuation of, of a banged up running backs group, but he didn't seem as concerned. Am I reading this wrong, Ryan? No, I think you're right. He didn't seem as concerned. He talked about needing everyone to contribute up and down the roster, the Quincy Jaunties of the world, the Ben Easingtons, even uh, there's a walk on from St. John Bosco. I forget his name, Matt, somebody or other. Uh, I don't know. He just feels like they, they all might need to contribute. And, you know, the, you didn't expect Keen Christian to, to have to last year. He's up to about 183 pounds. Um, it's good for him. I mean, he can hold up a little bit more in pass protection. It just not looked at as a track guy. They're going to need all those dudes uh, to contribute. You know, you're, you're expecting guys to be banged up, but you don't expect the same guys to be banged up months and months later. Uh, but that's kind of the case right now. But I think, yeah, I think you're reading it right. Um, he did expect to see, you know, Marquis step to be ready for Arizona state, which is a good thing. But, um, you know, we don't know where Vivai and his hamstring, uh, are right now, but I, I thought it was interesting too. We sort of, uh, talked about the pass protection stuff a lot and, and just being more physical, which is, you know, it's a good thing. Not just about running the football, 
but also uh, how they could use like the the speed guys like a Stephen Carr or a Keaton Christian, and maybe you get them both on the field at the same time, and one of them or both of them go out in, in pass patterns, or they're going to line up in the slot or something like that, and really get them out there, uh, you know, when they're running tempo, and maybe it's like a two back set, but then all of a sudden those guys are out as as you know, it looks like a five wide receiver set too. So it seems like they can use those guys in different ways. Uh, you use Kristen speed, you know, he's fast. If Carr's got that explosiveness back, it's just another way you could use him. And, and really when they are going tempo, you don't want the other team to substitute. You can move those guys around. They can play the receiver spots or they can be in the, in the backfield too. Yeah. I mean, that was a little window into maybe some new wrinkles that they're adding, but we saw them try and do two back sets definitely in fall camp last season. But then when the injuries hit, they just couldn't do that anymore in 2019. So, I mean, it'll be interesting when you have a fully healthy Steven Carr and a Keenan Kristen with another year under his belt, what can you really do with those weapons? Cause they seem explosive. You know, what can Keenan Kristen do uh, when he's not in space? Has he evolved in that sense? You know, it, it'll be really interesting to see and, and, Jinx talked about how uh, there's not really it's you, there's nothing really new about this offense on the whole. Uh, everyone talks about the air raid and how it's supposed to take another leap in year two. But he said if you ask Vivian Malapai, if you ask Stephen Carr, they can tell you every little nuance of this offense just because they know it so well at this point. So it's interesting how you have Jinx saying that there are some new wrinkles, but at the same point, uh, the running backs feel much more comfortable coming into the season just because they know what they're getting with the air raid system. Yeah. Well, uh, it was you know, encouraging, which was good. Uh, we'll see what the, what the running game has in store when we actually get to see Ed at some point. Maybe it'll be in camp. Maybe it won't be till the season. Who knows? But we'll, we'll uh, be definitely watching that for sure. Um, but we want to switch gears because we got to go to the defensive side. Keely, we got a preview of uh, the 2020 USC defense. And I think we'll just split it up by position group again. You want to do that? You want to start with the defensive line? Yeah, let's go through it. So first off, uh, departures. Christian Rector off, obviously left. Uh, try, I think he tried to go to the NFL. I don't think he ever landed anywhere. Right, Ryan? I don't believe so. Uh, you I know, don't think he he's did. one of those guys that could end up as a graduate assistant at some point, I would think. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously J2 Fele opted out and uh, will enter into the 2021 NFL draft. And then as far as additions goes, USC did get Kobe Pepe. Uh, so that is a guy to watch out for. I believe uh, Clay Hilton credited the strength and conditioning staff for how well he's bulked up over this offseason. Um, so going into defensive ends, I have Drake Jackson, but I put a question mark there because uh, we'll obviously talk about his role in this new defense. You have Caleb Tremblay, Nick Figueroa, Connor Murphy, Minano Tufono, and then you have Jacob Lichtenstein, who is an opt-out for this season, so USC won't uh, be able to use him. And then as far as defensive of tackles, you have Marlon Tui Pelotu, Brandon Peely, Trevor Trout, Dejan Benton, Stanley Talafu, uh, Tuli Tuli Pelotu, and Jamar Sakona. Yeah, that's a pretty deep group, even without uh, you know Jay Tefele in there. It means you know Marlon Tui Pelotu is going to have to step up. Brandon Peely, those guys are going to have to step up um, on the defensive ends first. Yeah, do we know? I mean, Drake Jackson's lost thirty pounds. Is he really going to be the outside linebacker? What do they call it? The B-back? We don't know all the terminology yet for with the different positions of, you know, we know what the, uh, some of the stuff they did at Texas. Is it going to be exactly the same here? But that, that was part of the reason we wanted to watch spring football and fall camp, just to see what these kind of formations look like. 
And was Drake Jackson in there on every play? Was he sometimes hand on the ground guy? Was he standing up, you know, off the line of scrimmage? Or was he, you know, he was always in there? Or were they moving guys, you know, where were they moving guys around? What kind of rotation it was? We just can't get a feel uh, for any of that yet. But, you know, I know Shotgun was was high on Jacob Lichtenstein. And I think that hurts him a little bit, him uh, opting out. Someone I think could have been a, a pretty big contributor. He looks like he's changed his body a little bit. And, you know, he's sitting out. Uh, he, he's coming back, but it's just he's sitting out for the COVID-19 stuff. But, you know, I think they're going to need the, the Nick Figueroa's and the Caleb Tremblay's to, to step up. And does the Connor Murphy, uh, which sort of just been kind of lost in the shuffle, get involved there? I mean, there's there's some guys there. There's some there's some athletic talent. And sometimes when you get a coaching switch and you bring in Vix Oto, he sees something in some of these guys that maybe the previous staff didn't. And he moves them around a little bit, changes their technique, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden they start to shine. But, you know, Drake Jackson, obviously, if he's going to be considered in this group, uh, you know, he's the shining star, but they're going to need some contributors after him, you know, especially if he gets banged up. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see the, what happens with the Caleb Trimblays, the Nick Figueroa's, the Connor Murphys, because those are guys who would benefit from a change with Vixa Oto and a, def- a new defensive coordinator. Those were the guys who kind of got lost in Clancy Pendergast's system. But at the same time, what does their role look like in Todd Orlando's defense? You know, do they have a special package for those type of uh leaner defensive ends to come in. I'm not sure yet. And as far as Drake Jackson, like you said, Ryan, he seems to fit that B-backer role uh, that uh, Orlando had at Texas, which is like an outside linebacker, defensive end hybrid type of guy, uh, that single edge rusher that he has in his his defense. And we asked Todd Orlando about it, and he, he this is before the full uh, first full pad practice, because, you know, Todd Orlando discounts every practice before the full pads practices. And he said, you know, it's just projections. You know, I, I watched a lot of tape. I wanted to see how each guy would kind of fit in certain roles. And we'll see once the pad comes on. So this is where I'm really just frustrated that we can't see practice. One, because I'm a very visual learner. But two, I want to see how, you know, from each practice, do we see guys move around a lot? Do you see uh, Drake Jackson move uh, roles a little bit? You know, it's, it's something where you wish you you could see. And then as far as defensive tackles, uh, Brandon Peely said he was asked, both Marlon P- uh, Tuipolotu and Brandon Peely were asked, um, how do you make up for a J2 Fele? And Brandon Peely said, the pressure's on me. The burden is on me to, to really fill that role. So what can you get out of those guys? You know, Marlon Tuipolotu was someone who started off really strong in 2019, and then he just kind of got worn out. You know, he got double teamed, couldn't really break through that. Um, and then Brandon Peely, consistency has been an issue for him. You know, um, I, I think Vic Soto talked about the buy-in. Brandon Peely was one of those guys that he tried to really get at as far as buying into uh, the new program and whatnot. So what can you get from those guys? How can you make up from for the loss of J2 Fele? All question marks going forward. And I, you know, even just going back to the defensive ends for a minute, are those guys going to be third down guys? Are they going to be, you know, are they like a first? I mean, we don't even know. Like that, that group might not even be outside of Drake Jackson might not even be in the mix depending on down and distances. And, yeah. you know, we've seen yeah. them mix guys around. Do they go with on a third down situation? Are you pulling out like a Tui Pelotu or Peely? And then you put in a, a Caleb Tremblay in there as like a, you know, a, more of a pass rush guy. Th- that's the kind of stuff we just don't, we don't have a feel for yet. And I, I don't know if we will until we get to actually watch, but that, you know, some of the younger defensive tackles, 
are are interesting to me. I mean, wh- when is Trevor Trout going to be in the mix here? I think we've seen some some positive things from Dijon Benton, uh, I, Tuli Tui Pelotu, you know, Marlins brother. Uh, I believe with Clay Helton, who was um, talking, you know, really uh, you know glowing reviews for him that he has been someone that is maybe a, it, you didn't expect to be a contributor. And one of the benefits some of these young guys are getting, Keely, is that you you've had more time where it's not like you arrived in June and camp started in August. I mean, they've been there for a while doing these workouts, extended workouts. They've had the extra time from the NCAA, the 12 hour weeks and stuff leading up to the OTAs and now into training camp. So Clay Helton said that, you know, some of these young guys are actually getting more time to get their bodies ready now than they would have with a regular season. And Tui Tui Peloto, I think is one of those beneficiaries. Yeah, and in the same vein, I mean, Clay Helton seems very cognizant of the fact that, you know, between injuries and a, a bad COVID result, you could be playing guys you don't expect. Younger guys like a Tuli Tuipolotu or a, a Dejan Benton where uh, they're now suddenly called upon. And so they've been doing a lot of two-spotting. Um, so across the board, I think guys who I don't think in a normal season would get as much run as they are right now, it, it, it's happening much more now than it would in like a, a normal season. So in some ways, there are some positives, I guess, to this whole wacky situation. But yeah, you could see uh, a guy like Tuli get more playing time just because of, you know, rotations and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so definitely going to be something to watch. I mean, when we're watching that first game, if we don't get to watch any like practices at all, uh, it's really going to be like taking notes, figure like, okay, what is this? What does the front look like? Where are they lined up? Uh, you know, what does it look like on third down? Um, I thought we had a pretty good feel for what they were doing under Clancy Pendergast. And, and now yeah, yeah. It's, it's all kind of changed. Yeah, and that's the thing is we're trying to get a better sense just from that that practice footage that they released, those those one-minute, two-minute clips where you can't really see anything, but we're trying. And we have seen a lot of Nick Figueroa and Connor Murphy and Caleb Tremblay. So it makes you wonder, Ryan, like, okay, how, how much are they using those packages with those guys versus maybe uh, Marlon and Brandon as uh, to, to plug up the gaps? You know, how, wh- how what do these packages look like? Because uh, one of the things that Orlando said is that it's multiple fronts. You know, his big thing is you want to be confusing the offense. You want to be confusing the offensive line to make those reads much harder for them um I, i'm just really curious and it's going to be harder for us too since we we aren't able to watch this team uh in practice we're gonna have to watch the game like five times just trying to figure out what's going on um, actually though <laughs> yeah for like for a lot and you know some of that might be are you seeing more you know is there are there going to be more linemen played as opposed to uh, you know, the next group we're going to talk about the linebackers where there's some concerns with depth, though. I think we saw that happen with Clancy Pendergast group sometimes where there's extra DBs or extra defensive linemen. And uh, I know Todd Orlando coaches the linebackers, so I have high expectations there. But if there are, you know, some of the inside guys getting banged up, um, you know, maybe you're going to see a, a little bit more of that. I don't know. It'll be it'll be interesting to see. But we'll I think we're talking about the linebackers next. 
Yeah, let's get into it. So as far as linebackers go, you had John Houston depart, and then you had no early enrollees, but you still have a a pretty good depth chart. As far as outside linebackers, I put Drake Jackson there. Uh, You have Hunter Eccles. Uh, I did put Juliana Falanico, but he, uh, I reported on Thursday, he's out with an ankle injury. He was actually carted off the field in an air cast, and Clay Helton said it was a pretty significant sprain, but it is non-surgical. So that's a guy who you obviously would want. I thought he was coming on late uh, in 2019, and then so he unfortunately comes down with an ankle injury. Uh, then you have Abdul Malik McLean, Elijah Winston. He's still coming back uh, from his ankle injury. He broke his ankle over the offseason doing a workout, so he's still rehabbing, it appears. And then you have two of CV Namora. And as far as inside linebackers go, you have Palie Naotote, you have Kanai Malga. Kanai has a hamstring injury, so he has looked limited in practice. And we got to ask Clay Helton about that, but he is expected to play uh, November 7th in that season opener. And then you have Raylan Goforth. Raymond Scott, I put a question mark, just because he's one of those tweener guys in between linebackers and safeties. Uh, then you have Taylor Katoa, who was not dressed out in Saturday's scrimmage based on the the practice footage. He's coming back from his two-year mission, so I'm sure there's probably uh, a strength and conditioning aspect to that. Not really sure. We need to get clarification from Clay Helton on that. And then the two inside linebackers uh, out for a year, Jordan Iasefa and Solomon Tulialapupu, obviously big losses there at that linebacker, inside linebacker position uh, with those two guys that you'd hope to see in this season. Yeah, I mean, if you look at that, it's a pretty big list under inside linebacker, but really it's EA and Raylan Goforth right now, right? With Kenai Malga out. We don't know about Raymond Scott. Yeah. Uh, Katoa, you know, and Isefa and Tui Pelotu. I mean, uh, Tui Alapupu, sorry, um, out. It's not a, a, a deep group there. And so maybe you. that's why we're. it'll be fun to see what they do on the different fronts and how that, you know, how they work that in. And, uh, you know, maybe we see more Hunter Eccles than we saw before. Maybe we see... More Juliano Falonico. What was uh, what was Falonico's injury? He had a um, was it a hamstring? Ankle. He had ankle. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, so there's there's guys like kind of banged up in this linebacker core, um, and then you know there's just not a lot of depth at the inside linebacker spot. I thought Iosefa would have could have had a you know a huge year. We all wanted to see Solomon Tuelapupu. I mean, just we got that one practice where he was a stud. And that's it. I mean, for all the 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 you know the the talk about we've talked about him so much and we basically saw him in one practice. Um and I think Shotgun was like, until we see him, it's really hard to talk about him. But for him to have a knee injury and be out for the year is just one of the more disappointing uh, a, you know aspects of camp so far. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, Ryan, the inside linebacker position is one of those things. And what's weird is it's kind of like this across a lot of position groups for USC this year. They're not exactly in danger as far as death, but you have one more injury and then suddenly you're, you're much more thin than you thought and you're getting dangerously close. And so it's really interesting because if we were watching practice, I think we would be uh, really impressed by Raylan Goforth in the sense that he's kind of being thrust into this role based on the fact that Kanai Malga is out as well. I'm sure he uh, probably is having to grow really fast just because how much run he's probably getting. And Chris Trevino has been really high on Raylan Goforth since high school. He was a guy who was very instinctive and could make plays in high school. So does that translate to the college game? We saw a little 
bursts of that in 2019, but not enough to really make an estimate. And then Palier Naotote, that's someone who, I mean, you flagged this from the beginning once Todd Orlando became defensive coordinator, Ryan. Uh, what happens to this linebacker group with Todd Orlando putting a focus on them? And we have a kind of window into that based on what Clay Hilton told us on Thursday, which is Orlando's really coaching up EA really toughly he's he's going really hard on him and Helton said that of course you you coach your best players the hardest uh the ones that you want to grow the most and so apparently EA is taking well to that coaching and Helton said it's the best thing that ever happened to EA uh in his career so (laughs) that's something if you know there was this there was talk when EA came to USC oh does he get the 55 Obviously, he hasn't lived up to those really high expectations. So the fact that you have Orlando giving him extra focus, I think, is a good thing if you're a USC fan. For sure. And even when we talked to Mike Jenks on Tuesday morning, uh, we they, the question was about who's the, like the, the toughest tackler or you know the hardest guy to go against for the, the running backs. And Stephen Carr mentioned Isaiah Polamau. Uh, and then Mike Jenks wasn't really mentioned in names. He did you know con- concur with uh, Isaiah Polamau, but... He brought up uh, Paille Naoteote. Oh I was just saying that's like really easy before, and then I just like got tongue-tied just for all of a sudden. EA, EA, right? Yeah. So crazy. Like you could say the name like 10 times and then like just mm-hmm. lose it somehow. Uh, he was saying EA for sure. And, um, you know, saying that they were just flying, that they were flying around the football. And I think he's going to be part of that. You know, you want to see him going downhill. You want to see him like blowing up running plays and he's you know my pick for breakout player of the year especially he's probably not going to come off the field because there's just not people behind him either yeah and so ea i think in my mind is that rover i know the names probably don't transfer over because that's what he called them in uh texas orlando did but the rover is that guy who um is going to be making those downhill plays, busting up plays. Um, and so it's it's going to be really interesting to see how much um, EA can be developed under Orlando. That's something where I know Dan Weber talked about, maybe you move uh, EA as a edge rusher just because he has that pure speed and then it takes every, takes care of everything else. Cause, uh, but, you know, it, will EA be able to handle the calls? Will he be making uh, adjustments for on the field? Can he handle that? That's something that was a question mark coming in. You had John Houston take that responsibility. Now that John Houston's gone, can EA kind of take over that role? Something to watch for, for sure. I, I It'll be interesting to see. Uh, it will. And this is another one of those areas we just would love to watch. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get a chance. Maybe not. Until November 7th, but we will uh, get a chance there. And I, I just feel like the, the linebacker group as a whole is going to get more attention. I just felt like they weren't, there was one group that just wasn't playing up to their athletic potential. And I just don't see how that would be the case continuing with uh, Todd Orlando being a linebacker's guy. Mm-hmm. My question for you, Ryan, is what are you seeing from this outside linebacker position? I know we talked about Drake Jackson, but what happens to a Hunter Eccles or Abdul Malik McLean in this defense? Yeah, I mean it's a great question because we it, I don't I don't know I don't think a lot of us know I I get the feeling that you see a guy there's there's talent there and you want to get the most out of a, a guy like Hunter Eccles we've seen some cool things from Abdul Malik McLean or, or you know Elijah Winston moved around inside outside um, there was just there's I see a lot of potential there and. Where, do they, where are they going to move him around? How are they going to get him on the field? 
I, 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 you have to have faith in what Todd Orlando does, knowing that his linebacker background isn't going to let. I, it just felt like some of these guys would get ignored, and they just were, they were afterthoughts. And I think it's going to be a rejuvenation for all of them. There's going to be opportunities to try to win spots and find your way out on the field. And you know, maybe Winston moves, you know, back inside. I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's some options there. Does Eccles? Spell Drake Jackson. Is he going to be, you know, mostly rushing the quarterback or is he dropping back into to coverages more? It sounds like they're going to have, you know, Drake Jackson's most of the time going to be, you know, rushing the quarterback. But, you know, if you bring a guy like Eccles or Falonico, maybe those guys could, uh, you know, kind of go back and forth a little bit more. So definitely going to be uh, interesting to watch uh, how this ends up playing out. But just in general, I just feel like it's going to be a, a a shot of adrenaline for all of these linebackers and any of you, and if you were like the forgotten guy that played on special teams and just didn't go or get much run, that might not be the case in uh, 2020. Yeah. I mean, any change is great for a team. You know, Clancy Pendergast was kind of, I don't know if you would say low key, Ryan, but he's not, he wasn't a Todd Orlando who is, you can tell in the zoom meetings, he's ready to go. He's ready to hit somebody. So I think that just gives adrenaline to any defense, any position group. So something to watch for, for sure. Um, but as far as defensive backs goes, uh, you have CJ Pollard who decided to enter the portal after 2019. And then USC also lost Dominic Davis. Uh, as far as additions go, USC didn't pick up anyone. And then as far as the depth chart, uh, as cornerbacks go, Elijah Griffin, Chris Steele, Isaac T- Taylor Stewart, Jaden Williams, Adonis Ote, Dorian Hewitt, and Max Williams, and Greg Johnson. And as far as safety goes, you have Isaiah Pulamau, Talano Hufunga, Chase Williams, Britton Allen, uh, Kal- Kalana McCalla, and then I added Raymond Scott as well. Yeah, uh, I I kind of think Raymond Scott's going to end up at safety. I don't know. Do you, What do you think? Do you, uh... see, see, here's the thing is that, like, I think Orlando's defense actually helps a guy like Raymond Scott, who's like a tweener, because the whole thing about Orlando's defense is that it's a positionless defense and you kind of want a live linebacker safety hybrid. Um, so I don't, does it fully matter? <laughs> you know, I think safety, maybe like he's a, I, I don't know, right? <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. And you, you look at, that's such a deep group. Um, I mean, do you feel comfortable with Elijah Griffin, Chris Steele, and Isaac Taylor Stewart in some kind of capacity, your top three corners? That's cool. But, oh, I mean, I loved what I've seen from from Max Williams. We've seen Greg Johnson have a, a huge role, and maybe he's more of a, a nickel again. And, uh, you know, we've seen Chase Williams play all over the place. And, you know, he's not even like the top two at the safety spot with Isaiah Polamau and Talanoa, you know, Hufunga. And, you know, we've, we've seen the speed of Adonis Ote or Dorian Hewitt's made some, you know, turn your head a little bit. Uh, there's 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 a bunch of dudes uh, and they had, you know, they had some good recruiting classes for these defensive backs. They got a bunch more coming in. But I don't think this is a group I worry about too much. We don't maybe no, not know yeah. exactly how it's going to play out, but they got so many options here. There's just so many good bodies and, and contributors if they wanted to you know, rotate in and out and, and have a bunch of guys come in and out and just to keep people fresh. I mean, I don't think they would have any problem doing that. Yeah. I mean, this is like you said, Ryan, this is the position group you don't worry about. Uh, maybe you worry about if you had to 
maybe the health as far as safeties go with Isaiah Pullabout and Talanoa Hufunga just because they've been injury prone. But you know what you're going to get with this group. You just want them to build on the success that they had last season. And then you add in a Dante Williams, a Craig Niver to the mix. And it, it'll be interesting to see how much they grow under those two guys. Um, and the thing about Todd Orlando's defense, you know, at Texas, uh, the weakness was kind of uh, in passing yards given up. But the thing is, I, I don't think... Uh, Orlando necessarily had the talent that USC has at the cornerback position, at the safety position. You know, they played a lot of off coverage, whereas does USC still play uh, press coverage because they have the talent to do so? You know, it'll be really interesting to see how Orlando makes his tweaks based on his personnel. And this is, I think, the DBs are one of those things where he might make the biggest change from Texas to USC because you have a guy like OG, you have a guy like Chris Steele who really didn't give up a lot of uh, big uh, yardage as far as guys making catches and whatnot. It'll be interesting. I know I keep saying it'll be interesting, and I, it is just because I I want to see what to- Todd Orlando does with this talent and how these guys progress because coming into 2019 and the year before we were like how is a Chris Steele how is Elijah Griffin how is ITS gonna really uh match up against you know older more experienced wide receivers and it looks like they've held their own and grown into their role so how much can they build on on what they've started yeah we're seeing um some plays being made by these guys if you watch uh they put the videos up there's there's some stuff uh you can watch um you know we got uh, you know, different Instagram feeds from some of the people on staff. You can watch some of those. There might be some highlights up there. You know, Gavin likes to do those. Uh, we'll put some of them up there. You can see like Chris Steele making a play or, you know, Elijah Griffin making a play. Um, it seems like they're doing a pretty good, you know, th- there's some good battles between the top end corners and the top end receivers. So uh, that is definitely going to be something to watch, but there's some options here for, for Todd Orlando. And I think with Craig Nivar and, uh, Dante Williams, like coaching these guys up. It just seems like it's going to be a, uh, a pretty good secondary this year. Yeah, without a doubt. The wide receiver cornerback battle was my favorite part of practice. <laughs> so uh, that just because USC is so talented in both of those areas. So it, I feel like you always have to take it for a grain of salt when you see those highlights on uh, USC's social media. Like if if Drake London or Bruce McCoy makes a great play, it's like, OK, in the next play, you see a Chris Steele make a great play. So it's always back and forth with those two position groups. Yeah. But overall, I would say looking at this defense. There's a lot of talent coming back. There's definitely some depth concerns at the, you know, linebacker spot, inside linebacker. We don't know exactly what fronts they're going to use, but every time we've seen Todd Orlando go from one place to another, it seems to get, you know, it's like there's a culture change. It's like a shot in the arm. You get that, you know, it's like Pulp Fiction where Uma Thurman gets that shot of adrenaline to her heart and just like, boom, you know, waking up. Uh, it seems like he can wake up a defense. And I think this is a defense that needed to get woken up. But the other side, too, Keely, is, I mean, you got Jaden Daniels, uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. I mean, what kind of quarterbacks are these? is these defense going to face? Uh, you know, the opener is going to be a tough one, I think, um, with Arizona State. But after that, really, it's not going to be – you don't have, like, these powerful offenses um, that you're going to be facing. Uh, it's not like, you know, Alabama's on the schedule. You get really tested. I'm not sure if there's, like – a great test uh, for this defense anyway. So even if things are going pretty well, it could, this defense has a chance to do some really good things because just the, 
you know, the opponents they're facing just aren't going to be as daunting as the original schedule was. Yeah, exactly. And keep in mind, you also have an offense that is supposed to build on what it it did last season. So really, you just need this defense to keep the game in reach, you know, keep it manageable. They don't need to be world beaters. They just need to be better than they were in 2019. So, I mean, I know people hate it when we sound optimistic, but I think this is a good thing for USC in this season where you're not facing Alabama, obviously. And Todd Orlando always has that first year bump wherever he goes. So it looks like a good combo for USC between their uh, offensive year two bump and that Todd Orlando bump. It seems like a good one, two punch. I, yeah, I agree with you there. You know, what do you want to do? You want to get up to the quarterback a little bit. You want to make some negative plays happen. You get the tackle for loss. Uh, you get the, the big sack on the quarterback, but also when you get in those situations, if it's third and 12, you don't, you know, commit a defensive holding penalty or anything like you're not giving up a 13 yard pass sort of thing, which, you know, something we've kind of seen before. So you get off the field and you give the ball back to the offense and not just don't give up points, but you force some three and outs where it's like you get, you know, the offense scores, Boom, 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 three and out. And that's a momentum building thing. And I feel like there wasn't that bond between the offense and the defense where they sort of could build on each other. If you know what I mean, Keely, like, you know, we have this great drive by the offense and then the defense gives up kind of a long drive. Maybe it's only field goal. Maybe they punt, you know, from the, from USC 40, but you know, they gave up three or four first downs and sort of like take the momentum away. The offense scores a big, exciting play, and you force a three and out. It's just like building on itself, and I think there's the potential to start doing that this year with something we really just didn't see before. Yeah, and the thing about having Zoom only is you have to pick the brain of people uh, who've been against this defense, and I was trying to get as much information out of Bruce McCoy as I could, and he was saying, you know, this defense is not one you want to go against in practice, but it's one that you want representing you on game days. So I thought that was a really interesting quote because he was like, they have a different, he said they have a different name to them, and I think what he was trying to say is like, they did, they have a different swagger, apparently, in practice, and so uh, he said they really swarm to the ball, they just have this this type of uh, new era about them, this new wave about them, or vibe, I guess you could say, where you want them representing you on Saturday. So, And he said, he was like, I, I know everyone hates the cliche of iron sharpens iron, but it's really making us better as an offense. And we've heard that from other coaches as well. So, I mean, this could be the, the boost that USC needs. And once again, we have to go back to, if you wanted to do the Notre Dame method, why didn't you do this all together at once instead of staggered uh, over two seasons? But, you know, here we are. <laughs> yeah. Can I raise my hand for the iron shot burns iron thing? Not a, not a huge fan, but I don't know why. Yeah, Just, I know. Sometimes they get Is overused it- or whatever, you know, like, eh. you, You'd think that the offseason would give some time for some new cliches but the the usc coaches bingo is lighting up every every morning every press conference there's a lot of uh situational mastery oh, a lot of cliches <laughs> yeah there's so many happening and i'm like we we never left it's all the same ryan it's the same all right well that's our previews anything else before we move on keely i think that's it i mean any storylines you're looking for within the the defense itself I I think pretty much everything that we covered, um, you know, I want to see improvement with the linebackers. Uh, I want to see what the the defensive front 
looks like. You know, the, the kind of coverages, too, I guess, with the, the secondary. Are they going to put guys on an island more? Is there going to be more, you know, zone coverage? I, I don't know. I mean, there's there's so many. There's a, there's a lot out there just to kind of see what they do. And, and is it going to be tailored week by week? I remember, like, if you remember, like, when Justin Wilcox was around, it was sort of like this adoptive defense that, that or adaptive. They would adapt to like whatever the uh, the offense, you know, the opponent was doing. Is there going to be any elements of that? Are we going to see? You know, he likes to talk about the multiple fronts. Is it going to depend? You know, be really opponent dependent? I, yeah, just there's a lot there. We just we have to just not being able to see it with this whole new scheme. So it, there's just as soon as we see it, I will have probably like fifty thousand more questions too. Yeah, I, I'm sure too. Yeah, it, it'll be. I really want to see how confusing this defense can be for offenses. That's the thing that Orlando has kind of prided himself on. And how much are guys switching between blitzing and dropping back into coverage? Are we really seeing guys make that switch so where offenses can't key in on guys? Because you know you'd see uh, a, a Drake Jackson, you knew what was happening. You know you knew a Pallet EA if he was kind of near the 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 slot, he would be rushing. Whereas if he was more inside, he would be staying put. You know things like that. Where are you actually confusing defenses where you can't key in on certain guys where they're based uh, on the field? You know it. I'm curious to see what what it looks like, and I yeah. know once we see them, we're going to have to watch the film over and over and over again <laughs> to really get a good sense of this. <laughs> Certainly will. All right, well, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back and uh, answer some questions. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All righty, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to now... Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always death. Yeah, we, but we had some good audience members. We got some good listeners, <laughs> and uh, we got some good questions. Um, I love to play. I usually play that of the Podcast of Champions, but... Uh, you love that drop. I love that I love the Simpsons. It's just, you know, they've been around forever. And uh, it's like... 30 something years, I think. It's like crazy, like how long they've been along. That's true. Um, uh, where, where do you want to go first? We'll play the voicemail a little bit later, but like, let's do a couple of emails first. Sure. Let's go to Frank in Sacramento, who said, Ryan, I was confused by your concerns over the USC receiver too deep list. After you play Drake London with the tight ends, you said USC was weak in depth of receiver if two or them go down. That is a non issue. The bottom five receivers at USC would form a great starting rotation at most other Pac 12 schools. Frank in Sacramento. I, Frank, I think um, 
the issue is I, now I'm not someone that's putting Drake London with the tight ends. I would still keep him with that group. But I think I think what we, what we had our list there was like eight guys, Keeley. And it was if you're going to use four wides, uh, that's only you know that's a two deep right there. And uh, we you know they talked early on about rotating twelve guys or whatever, and obviously that's not going to be uh, the case now. I think you could lose a guy or two and still be fine. But, you know, a couple of guys, if you're talking about an Amon Ross St. Brown or a Tyler Vaughn's, they're going to get a lot of looks. They're gonna, I mean, I think those guys make Keaton Slovis feel comfortable. And I think he they can be that security blanket. And if you lose one of them, yeah, there's other guys that can step up and be productive. But that's hurts your confidence a little bit. If you know, you know, I'm on Ross St. Brown, you can throw it up there. He'll catch balls. We love the way Tyler Vaughn's is able to high point balls and you're throwing some sideline pass and you got a really good shot, back shoulder, whatever you want to do, and uh, and get that to work. And you know, you have confidence in guys like Drake London and some of the younger guys, but you know, they haven't really seen Brew McCoy out there. They'll they'll build up that chemistry. I think you lose one of the top two guys. Uh, it could impact what Keen Slovis's mindset is going forward. The thing is, and I think your point was, Ryan, is that it's a sneakily thin depth chart. Because based on Frank's scenario, and that's putting Drake London with the tight ends, which I'm not even going to do in this example. USC right now has seven eligible wide receivers. I'm not including Manier McLean. He said if two of them go down, the bottom five would form a great starting rotation. Well, there's only five if you take two of them <laughs> out. So there, it's it's sneakily uh, uh, thin at wide receiver because you have Tyler Vaughn's, Amon Ross St. Brown, Drake London, Drew McCoy, John Jackson III, Gary Bryant Jr., and Josh Jackson. And that's it. You know, it, it seems like USC always has just this bottomless pit of really talented wide receivers, but it's, it's much... It's much thinner than I think USC fans are used to. And the thing to watch out for, just a little put a, a, a mark on it, is that people keep talking about Gary Bryant being banged up. Um, Chris and I are trying to figure out what that exactly means. But I think Gary Bryant is not 100% healthy right now either. So just things to watch out for. It's it's not exactly what you think of as normally you do for USC wide receiver group. Yeah, and you know, two of those dudes being true freshmen. So uh... yeah. It's it's not you know like Keely said obviously the depth is going to be a real concern if you're saying the bottom five are great well that's the only five like those are the only five that are left uh, but it I think it does impact you know Keaton Slovis as well yeah those five guys he might have confidence in all of them but he doesn't have as much confidence as he does in like an Amon Ra say Brown so yeah you could I think you can lose a Drake London or a Brew McCoy or something that they haven't had before a little bit easier than if you lose like a Tyler Vaughn's or Amon Ross St. Brown. I think those two, um, they're going to be leading the way this year. And it's knowing that they're there, I think it's going to open up opportunities for those other guys. If one of those two or both are gone, it's going to be tougher for those opportunities to come with the other guys. Cause then you got to step up and be the alpha, which really hasn't been their role yet. Yeah. I would agree, but watch out for Brew McCoy. I think the way coaches are talking about him, you can kind of tell that he's he's showing out in practice. It's a, yeah. it's a learning curve for him. That's something that he admitted, but he's just such a physical guy uh, who's so athletic that he just presents such a challenge uh, for defenses. So uh, I'm putting my, my stake. You have Tyler Vaughn's, Ryan. I'm going to put my stake in, in Brew McCoy, which seems like an easy one to do, but just watch out for him. <laughs> oh, it's not easy. I've got the proven one. You got the, you got the new cover, but he was a five-star, and for the most part, late. Lately, five-star receivers have worked out pretty well. 
pretty good. I'll say that. Um, let's move on to an email from Sergeant Rodney Strong, who says he's a Debbie Downer this week. He says, well, the season is coming up and I'm not even excited. I was hoping that this is going to be a season of some serious change. And it seems like I, I like I'm in the same old house with just a new paint on the outside. But inside is the same old boring weak leadership that has been plaguing the football team. Do you guys see anything about this team to be excited for? Thanks and fight on dot dot dot. I guess <laughs> Sergeant Rodney Strong. Sergeant Strong, well, first, thanks again for your service. Um, I mean, didn't we sound pretty excited talking about the defensive preview and all the, you know, everyone's, it's all new coaches on that side. That's all new leadership. That's, there couldn't be any different. That's not paint on the outside. Uh, you've, uh, you've gutted your, um, you know, you've gutted your bathrooms and kitchen. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a big deal. That's a big portion of the house, the value of your house. So uh, I think, yeah, I think you can be excited about that. Just us talking about Stephen Carr and someone that's been just under, I don't want to say underachieving, but just hasn't been the Stephen Carr we saw that was a five-star kid coming out of high school the last couple of years. If there's even a chance that he's back to that, that's a big deal. You know, I think there's a lot of positives you can take from it. I think what you're saying, Rodney Strong, you know, Sergeant Strong is Clay Helton's still the head coach. Yes, he's still the head coach, but there's been a lot of changes made around him. The schedule has been gutted. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not saying you should be excited if this team goes six and zero, but th- I think that that's what that's what should happen. Like this team should be six and zero, barring some sort of like the whole offensive line is out because of COVID kind of thing. Um, you know, something weird like that could happen because it's we're in a weird time. Then maybe you lose a game you shouldn't lose, but for the most part, I, I just don't see. I mean, they're a 10-point favorite against Arizona State. That's probably going to be the toughest game. Uh, yeah, this team should be 6-0. and And yes, will you? Well, you're going to be doing backflips for that? Probably not, but that's what should happen. If you you hold serve and you go 6-0, and I'm not saying that's easy to do. It's kind of what's expected to do, but that, that'd be a, a positive sign. And then it just becomes, hey, can you beat Oregon or whoever comes out, Cal, Washington, whoever comes out of the North, and you win the Pac-12? I think... You would take that in this weird season that you thought wouldn't even happen. So, yeah, Sergeant Strong, get get excited a little bit. This is college football's back. USC football's going to be back in a couple of weeks. I think you should get excited. At the very least, just be curious. You know, have your curiosity uh, peak. Just because, you know, Todd Orlando, what can you do with the talent that USC has? Just a, a fresh new face. Can that make substantial changes? And at the very worst, I guess, if USC somehow does horrible, then you know, and this athletic department knows, that this whole uh, replace everyone underneath Clay Helton experiment doesn't work. And then what does it look like going forward? Probably something that USC fans, for the most part, have been clamoring for for a couple years. So it's you're turning the corner in one way or another, and I think you should be excited for that, if that makes sense, Ryan. Yes, yeah, so you think you should replace all the coordinators again if it doesn't work this year? Is that what you're saying? Or <laughs> No, I'm not saying that, Ryan. Definitely okay. not. I'm not saying Notre Dame part two, part one and a half two. I don't know. I You know how I feel about the Notre Dame method. It was a slow rollout of that method to begin right. with. So, uh, no. Shall yeah, we go to a voicemail, Ryan? Sorry, but- not to cut you off. No, no, you're great. Let's go to a voicemail. Keely has to keep the show rolling because I just talk. <laughs> All right. Uh, here's the voicemail. We went from a pessimistic listener to more optimistic one. Here you go. Hi, this is Curtis from Moreno Valley. I'm uh, usually the most positive fan in the peristyle, and I still am. But I have to ask this question. 
we have not been able to get top-notch offensive linemen from the South, from what I hear, all the way to when Pete Carroll was here. Wouldn't it be a Dante Williams type of fix if we got a strong offensive line coach that's a great coordinator from the South? Steal him by paying him more, whatever you have to do, just like we did with the coaches we have. Then you have a pipeline to linemen that he's already recruiting in the South, as we've seen with Dante Williams and others. Where they have come from out of state, they already have relationships with them. Just an idea, Curtis from Moreno Valley. Hey, Curtis. Uh, Chumadoga came out of the South. Uh, he was a, a five-star guy. They, I mean, I think it's – I don't think you go as a USC, a L.A.-based school going, all right, let's build our offensive line with Southern linemen. Like, that's just not – like, you you try to get some guys from there, but that's not necessarily, like, what your focus is going to be. And Adante Williams, I mean, he can only – like, you don't want to, you know, put too much on him. I think that happened with T. Martin, that you had so many guys that weren't great recruiters and T. Martin was – so he sort of was brought in to like fix everything. I don't know if you want to get into that kind of situation uh, as well, but you got to find guys, develop them. Um, you know, it's been a couple of not highly ranked offensive line classes, but I wouldn't worry more about like where they're coming from. Just more about, you know, getting those guys that USC would typically get that have gone to, you know, the organs of the world or Stanford or thing like that, that that's been the real issue. There's been guys that have been in USC's wheelhouse. If they're from Southern California or Arizona or wherever it is, uh, and you know, Utah and they end up somewhere else. And in a good, you know, those guys, Pete Carroll would get, and for whatever reason, Clay Helton hasn't been getting them. Uh, you know, they switched offensive line coaches and they're trying to, you know, make a dent there. But there's, I, I wouldn't say, Curtis, you need to specifically go on. Like, we need someone to recruit the South for offensive linemen, and you hire a guy to specifically do that. I, I, I just don't think that's necessary. I think the thing is that talented offensive linemen are not going to come to a place where they feel like they're going to win seven, eight games. You know, Ryan, they're going to go to the places where they, they can go, uh, like a Clemson or Alabama, stop there, next stop NFL. You know, it's just not going to be an attractive place because USC has had the the likes of Jackson Carmen, Jonah T, all those guys, and yet still swings and misses. And it's two parts, you know, like you said, Ryan, you're not recruiting well, but also you're just not an attractive place for top recruits. So it, I think it's a, a multifaceted issue that I don't think you can just plug in a Dante Williams and it, it fixes it. Yeah, there's, I think, some of the USC fans kind of got used to that. Like, Hey, we have a good recruiter. Let him go do it. You know? And, uh, you need a good staff. You need to put everyone together. Everyone's got to be working. And that was to me, really the biggest failure from the Clay Helton coaching staffs from years past that you had, you had some good recruiters, you had the T Martins or whatever the world, but there was a bunch of guys that were just doing it part-time or not doing it at all. And that's not going to be successful. You can't just rely on a few of your dudes to recruit. And that's why I like, the approach that they're taking now. I mean, I think, you know, Craig Nivar doesn't get the kind of credit, you know, everyone knows about Dante Williams, but uh, even Dante Williams, like, dude, I wish I had the, you know, energy that Craig Nivar has. Like he's really into that stuff. And uh, you know, you have a young guy like Vic Soto, like he looks like he could beat you up and play and, and beat you off the line of scrimmage. Like he's someone that I think that could recruit and do a really good job uh, as well. And I think Todd Orlando has been there too. So I think, 
yeah, you, you need a good, competent recruiting staff. And a place like USC that has the potential to recruit itself, you just have to not screw it up. And unfortunately, USC's kind of screwed it up. Uh, I think the the guys they have in now, they're not screwing it up. They're going to do a really good job. Uh, but you have to kind of play a little catch up. And one of the areas they haven't caught up is on the offensive line. And maybe that takes a little more time. Maybe you need to have a good winning season. And maybe you go 6-0 and and, and then finish off 7-0 and win the championship. And you're able to get some of those, you know, highly ranked West Coast offensive linemen that you've just been missing on in the past. That's that's where the biggest misses have come from. And they've kind of filled it up with guys that maybe weren't, you know, typically a USC caliber offensive line recruit, but they've had to go to plan B's and C's. Uh, maybe you go six and zero or seven and zero, and and you get some plan A's, and then it changes things. Yep. Shall we move on to our next question, Ryan? Let's do it. This one comes from Brett C. from Knoxville, Tennessee. He says, hi, Keelan Ryan. My question for you guys and the whole team is why has President Carol Folt said absolutely nothing about the return of USC football and dealing with the coronavirus with California state officials and the Pac-12 conference? Should us USC fans be uh, love to hear what the whole team thinks about this? Thanks, as always. Fight on, Brett. Hey, Brett, uh, we haven't, to be fair, we haven't heard from many of the CEOs. Uh, I think we've heard from uh, Dr. Michael Schill from Oregon just because he's the chairman of the CEO group. And it seems like he's been sort of the mouthpiece of that. The thing is, it's been more about um, unity when it comes to the Pac-12. There hasn't been maybe dissenting voices. And I think you saw USC step out a little bit behind the scenes, you know, working with the, the Pac-12, but also having those, uh, the the student athletes put out that letter to Gavin Newsom, which was absolutely critical to getting the entire Pac-12 going. So I I would be more concerned if you heard from other presidents and maybe not Carol Fult, but you've heard from USC in a leadership role to get football back in other ways. And I think you could argue, you could say that that's the right or wrong strategy, but that was USC's strategy, the way they rolled it out, kind of working things behind the scenes, uh, putting the players out there, getting it out there in a, a very targeted uh, letter that, you you know, that didn't just come from the players. There was there were there were adults in the room helping shape that and word it in a way and direct it to the right people in a way that it would get some kind of reaction. And when you call out a politician like that, uh, especially in a, you know, an election year when you have a Republican president getting credit for bringing back or helping to bring back the Big Ten, you don't want a Democratic governor in California being blamed for not allowing the Pac-12 to come back. So I think that was smart. You can argue like what any I don't care what any of these people did, but just perception-wise, if people are talking about. Uh, one side of the aisle, you know, helping football get back and another one hurting it. You don't want to uh, alienate people that would potentially vote for you or vote for your party. And so I think that got Gavin Newsom's attention where other things were not. So I think it was smart. I think it was something USC did that was very targeted. It was a surgical move and it worked. Um, could President Carol Fold have been out there, uh, you know, banging the drums and, and yeah, maybe, but for the most part, I think the the CEO group were all trying to have this united front. Um, we don't know exactly what she was doing behind the scenes. I haven't really heard much about that. But I think it was going to be more about a united front from the CEOs as opposed to, hey, we're going to hear like in the big in the big uh, 
10 when you're hearing from Nebraska or you're hearing from Ohio State. It really wasn't that way in, in the Pac-12. Yeah, like you said, Ryan, I, the Pac-12 was very cognizant of its unity not, being not like the Big Ten. And so USC had already stepped out enough uh, by, like you said, having the players say something to Gavin Newsom. And so I think it would have been overkill if you have Careful come out and say something herself when none of the other Pac-12 CEO groups uh, members were, were doing that themselves. So I think... Also, they were keeping Carol Fult as like a, a tool in their arsenal if it got to that point where if Gavin Newsom didn't respond to the players or didn't respond to maybe a subsequent Mike Bone letter, maybe you bring out the big guns and the USC president to, to try and get football back. But um, everything you said, Ryan, I agree with, you know, I think they just wanted to make sure that they kept with the the Pac-12's unity, but also didn't put themselves too much out there considering that they had the the players saying something themselves and i think for the ceos and careful i mean they have bigger fish to fry really like you're talking about tuition increases for a bunch of students that aren't going to be on campus that's a much bigger financial hit for a university than the athletic department now the people that work the athletic department that's what matters to them they i think those were a lot of the people that were behind what you saw with that letter and things like that um and so for the ceos they were, I mean, you could argue they were moving slower than they should have been. I, I think they could have voted earlier. I think the Pac-12 in general, Larry Scott failed by not moving faster, uh, at least in early September when the daily testing came out. They were just kind of waiting on the governments in uh, California and Oregon to do something as opposed to forcing their hand and saying, hey, look, everyone else is coming back. We need to come back too. We have daily testing. You can do this. And that's what the letter did, really kind of uh, act as a catalyst to push that forward. But I think that was going to mostly come from athletic departments more than the CEO groups. They were taking a pretty conservative approach. It'd be a different thing if you're at Alabama or you're at Ohio State. I think that's a – it's just different there than, than what we're seeing at USC. And then, you know, right or wrong, the Pac-12 is sort of kind of staying together on all of this. And they were content, to be honest, with – Having the season start, you know, in January or maybe move it up to December, they didn't, and they and Larry Scott didn't act in time to, you know, and realize and have the vision to see what was happening, what the landscape was in college football when the Big Ten was moving forward and the Pac-12 was worried about moving basketball up as opposed to football. That's just a failure, you know, and it took people at places like USC to, to see that failure and say, Hey, we got, they're like raising their hand, like, Hey, we got to go. Like, this is not, we can't just sit around and wait for, you know, the, for the spring season to start. We're going to be the only ones left. And it's going to be a joke. It's not going to matter at all. So I know some people argue that it's just a, a, a bull crap seven game season, but it took USC leadership to get to that point at all. And uh, without it, Without what USC did behind the scenes and with the players and stuff, the Pac-12 football season doesn't happen in 2020. So um, they did what they could, but I feel like there was only so much one school could do, even a school as big and powerful as USC. It had to come from Larry Scott. He needed the vision to say, instead of focusing on, like literally they had a CEO meeting and it was more, they were more worried about moving basketball up, which they were the only conference to delay basketball until next year. The other conferences didn't do that. So they were willing to back off pushing basketball off till 2021, but they were putting football on the back burner, which makes absolutely no sense. So sorry for the long rant, but that's, uh, that's my thoughts on it. 
Basically, in short, Brett, no, you shouldn't be concerned about this. <laughs> yes. So we have one final question, Ryan, and that comes from our buddy Dan, class of 1962. He said, thanks, Ryan, for dealing with my Danny Downer mentality last week. I fully support what you said about making the Pac-12 more competitive by going to an eight-game schedule and only playing one of the Bay Area schools every year. You also made me hopeful that Larry Scott will be gone. If he goes, the Pac-12 should start uh, should sell their Pac-12 network rights and align with Fox or ESPN or even NBC. Schools always complain about football paying for the, the Olympic sports and non-revenue sports, but that's exactly what the Pac-12 networks do. They downgrade football bra- broadcasting revenue in order to put the non-revenue sports on the network. Can anyone say advertising dollars? Your thoughts on the demise of the Pac-12 network, which has been on, uh, which has been a cash cow only for Larry Scott. Fight on and win, Dan, class of 1962. Hey, Dan. I, I, so, Keely, uh, I'm getting close to 50 years old now. I'm, I'm one of those. I'm an, I'm an old, like what you, you young people call an old. Um, <laughs> I forget stuff all the time. I'll say things and I don't remember. But I, there's been a couple of things where I don't remember saying, I don't ever saying Drake London was going to go to tight end group. That that wasn't something I feel like I would have said. I don't think you did, Ryan. And then I also don't feel I ever said that um, – you know, only playing one Bay Area school every year. Like, I think you should go to an eight-game schedule, but you play both Bay Area schools. I don't have an issue with that. Um, so I've been, like, I get on arguments with the podcast of champions. Uh, I, I think everyone should play the same amount of conference games. And if you're serious about making the playoff, it's a it's to your detriment to play an extra conference game. And we're seeing the SEC bumped it up to 10 right now. And you're seeing upsets and you're seeing things happen. It makes a difference when you're not playing Walford and you play a South Carolina who could beat you. You know, maybe they don't, but they could. Um, you know, it, it those things are going to happen. And you get that extra conference game, or in this case, extra two conference games. There's going to be some crazy stuff that happens. So I don't like it. Uh, I would rather see it be eight games. But I think the the Pac-12, uh, they, could re- they could realign things and put the California schools together so they're all in the same division. And and solve that. I know the Pacific Northwest schools don't want that. They want more access to California. Uh, but I think in this case, USC sort of needs to uh, flex its muscles and, and maybe they can make some changes there. But we'll see what, what happens. But as far as like the network goes, um, I don't know if USC is in a position to do anything uh, right now as far as like, oh, you go independent or you ju- whatever it is. But having something where you're going to have a benefit for being USC, like owning your own tier three rights. Uh, you know, Oklahoma puts their games on pay-per-view and makes a bunch of money there. Texas has their own network. I don't think USC is going to do something like that, but just owning your own tier three rights, USC could make a lot more money than what they're getting, the pittance that they get from the PAC 12 network. So all that's got to change. The, the model going in was playing 800 something uh, live sporting events a year, you know, 860 of them, 850 of them, nobody watches. That doesn't make, you know, that doesn't make a lot of financial sense. I think you need one network. You got to focus on football and basketball and you show other sports and stuff too, but not the the main talking point is we're going to show every sport all the time. And literally John Wilner would do reports that the, the ratings would, that they don't, you know, uh, disclose the ratings. The ratings would like literally be zero. Like nobody was watching. Um, it costs money to produce all that stuff. So, yeah, you can put on a water polo game or you can put on a lacrosse game. You can put those kind of things on, but not like focus on that. You have to focus on football. You need a a daily show like a Paul Feingold show where you're talking about 
the Pac-12 every day, focusing on football, focusing on basketball, and, you know, talking about some of the other sports too. But you got to do stuff like that. So they need to retool it all. Uh, you're right. Larry Scott's making $2.5 million a year on the, the Pac-12 network, and they're bringing back some of the furloughed employees. They're not going to show any football games, which is actually a good thing because they needed to get those tier one, that tier one money. Maybe they'll show football uh, for the championship week. We just don't know at this point, but they have to retool it. I mean, they got to get rid of Larry Scott. His contract's up in 2022. And, you know, by the 2024, you have to have a, a good plan and hopefully executed that plan on switching out the Pac-12 network to something that's going to be more profitable for all of the uh you know, all of the programs, not just something you can tell, you know, uh, your, your, your daughter's on the field hockey team and you get to watch them on TV. That's great. But it costs a whole bunch of money to put your daughter on TV and nobody's watching. Um, she can go on TV on the championship game or something like that, but they don't need to show her games every day because they have all these networks, seven networks going. So there's my little PAC 12, uh, network. Yeah. You like that one? What a rant. Um, my question for you, though, Ryan, is when Larry Scott eventually makes his exit, do you see the next commissioner having the same double duty that Scott had where he's um, overseeing the network and being the commissioner at the same time? Or do you see that uh, responsibility being uh, devied out? No, I think you got a partner with ESPN or Fox, probably Fox. Um, I think ESPN, you know what they have, the SEC network, they put a ton into that. They have the ACC network now. Uh, Fox has been super successful with the big 10 network. Um, and it just geographically kind of works out well. I think they were floating that out where you're going to partner with like Google or whatever it was, you know, any of the, you know, Amazon, something like that. I just didn't seem to have much of a, uh, a pull there. And I, I think you'd be better off just a traditional broadcast partner like Fox. I think they would get behind it. They're getting behind this big noon kickoff and the 9am thing. Uh, I think you need a real partner like that. And you look back to the original contract, it's basically like the Pac-12 wanted to make this huge splash. And it was like a $2 billion contract. It was the biggest around for about a year or so. Then they've got passed by everyone. It was a 12-year deal, which was insane, way too long. Uh, All these other conferences have had multiple deals over the time, doubling what they've made. And the Pac-12 is still, you know, doing great what they thought they were making in 2009, which was a bump up, but compared to what the other conferences are making, it's, it's nothing, but you look at what, you know, what happened back then, they got a deal done with Fox and ESPN sharing the tier one rights. And they like sign this deal together. It's like, if you go into a a meeting room with Pepsi and Coke and you get them to sign a deal with you, you're probably not getting the better end of this because neither one of them want to get the short end of the stick. They don't like each other. They're rivals but you come to the table and they sign something most likely they're doing well and you're getting screwed. And I think that's exactly what happened with the PAC 12. Interesting. Okay. Well, we shall see whenever that happens. <laughs> yes. Uh, so 2022 is when it's up. I kind of feel like they're not going to kick Larry scout Scott out early. That's sort of, you know, I think really? they'll just sort of let it, I think they'll just kind of let it, they're going to let it expire, but like find someone behind the scenes or maybe they'll work together. Like they're going to, I don't think they're going to try to make them look bad, which they have every right to do. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's going to take some strong leadership for them to, to kick them out, you know, and, and kick them out early. I, I'm just not, I'm, 
I think there's some new blood. I think there's some good presidents out there now where, you know, most of the guys that hired Scott are all gone. He had some protectors for years. Um, I think it's the best move if they could kick him out early, but I'm not sure that's going to happen yet. Interesting. Okay. You're the, I feel like you're the Larry Scott whisperer. So I'll, I'll trust you on your gut call. Uh, I don't know, man. (laughs) Five million a year. That's insane. Insane. Insane for sure. But that's all I got, Ryan, as far as questions go. Yeah, let's wrap it up then. Uh, good stuff. Thank you, everyone, for sending in the questions. And don't forget to uh, leave us five-star rating. Those positive reviews over on Apple Podcasts are awesome. We love that. It really does help grow the show. You can tell a friend, you know. Uh, hey, USA Football is coming back. You should listen. Keely and Ryan do a pretty good job uh, covering the team on the podcast. So we've been doing it a long time. And we appreciate you all out there listening. Make sure you go over to uscfootball.com and read up on all the stuff that's going on. So much content has been going up. And uh, we do appreciate you reading and listening and just being part of our uscfootball.com and Peristyle Podcast family. Don't forget the Tuttle Visions are live on Wednesday evenings. And we're going to, during the season, we'll probably do a Sunday night one too. But uh, jump in on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope. We do it live. We put them up as a podcast too. But it's cooler when you see us on video and uh, talking about the team. So thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.